You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. All right, all right. Hello, hello, my friends. Today, I want to teach on the subject of choosing the way of wisdom. How do you make a biblically-based decision about something going on in your life? A question recently came to me that sounded something like this. How do you make the correct choice in a situation, even when you don't have peace about it? How do you make the correct choice in a situation, even when you don't have peace about it? And the way that even that question is worded tells me something about the way the person thinks about decision-making and the will of God. And that's what we want to really talk about today. Now, full disclosure, most of my notes here come straight from the book by Gary Friesen called Decision-Making in the Will of God. And what's awesome about this book, it's a very long book. It's, I think it's around three, somewhere three to 500 pages. I think it's closer to 500 pages, maybe. Um, and it is a, um, a tome that just goes through all of the relevant biblical passages and all of the scriptures and the ideas around seeking God's will for your life. And what he shows is that what he calls the traditional view is deeply flawed. Flawed in the sense that there's really no support from the scriptures at it, and especially not when you take a really close look at the individual scriptures used to support this view within their context. Now, what I'm not going to do in this time together is talk through sort of the the arguments for his view, okay? Um I'm going to talk a little bit about what the what the view is, but I'm but I'm not going to talk about the arguments for his view or against the other view, okay? Um because here's what I want. Out of this podcast, I really want you to be able to take a decision that you have upcoming in your life and make an actual decision around it, okay? Moving forward with the information that you have and not being hung up by analysis paralysis, not wondering whether or not um, God really wants this for you, right? Not trying to decide whether or not it is the quote-unquote right thing to do. I want you to have full confidence that you can make an informed decision that God will bless and can do great things with in your life. So what the book really talks about is the myth of God's individual will. All right, now you guys know what I'm talking about here. You have this idea of this individual will that God has for your life. God has a plan for my life, you might say, right? And assumed in there is this idea that you are going to tap into that plan ahead of time in order to sort of know what God's will is in any given situation. And the thing about it is, is even though we have scripture, scripture doesn't inform us of how to make many of the decisions in our lives. You know, scripture doesn't tell us who to marry. Scripture doesn't tell us where to go to college. Scripture doesn't tell us whether or not we should take that promotion or that job opportunity. And so in many decisions in life, we are left up to our own devices. And the question is, what, if anything, can God do in that situation? What should you do in that situation? What does God want for you 
in that situation. You see, this is the sort of thinking, the sort of questions that the traditional model will ask. The model that says that God does have an individual will for your life that you can somehow know, that you can somehow tap into, that you can somehow pray and receive guidance about. And I think this is wrong. I think this is wrong because I don't think scripture teaches it. Okay. So God's sovereign will is often revealed to us in retrospect, right? There are three wills of God in the traditional view, the sovereign will, the individual will, and the moral will. But the individual will doesn't seem to be taught. God's sovereign will, what actually God wants to happen across the span of the cosmos, is available to us in retrospect. For example, if you say, well, what, what was God's will today? I'm going to say, I don't know, ask me tomorrow. Because tomorrow I will know what the will of God had been for today. And then God's moral will is what he reveals to us in scripture. By the scriptures, we know things. For example, let's just use the idea of marriage, right? We know that when it comes to marriage, we don't know the particular person who we are going to marry, but we do know that that person should be a Christian. We know that as a, as a command in scripture. Now, we could also use, we're going to talk about this, we could also use wisdom to make some other discernments. For example, if you are a Baptist and you are seeing a girl and you find out that she is Catholic, that's going to be problematic in your relationship. And so you're going to have to make decisions about whether or not you should go through with that given wisdom. Wisdom may dictate that your differences would be potentially irreconcilable, and you're going to have lots of struggles around how to spiritually lead your family. And so you should maybe not make that decision if that's what's going on. Now, some hallmarks of the traditional view might be this, impressions, or the idea of peace, or maybe nudges, or whispers, or here's a very popular one, putting out a fleece, right? God, if you put this, if you make it rain just right over my head uh, and it's dry everywhere else, then I'll know that this is what you want me to do. You know, it sounds silly, but that's basically exactly what Gideon did in the Bible. And so sometimes people bring that up and say, well, Gideon did it. Maybe we should do it. Well, there's context there. No, just because Gideon did it, does not mean that we should do it. So putting out a fleece. People often talk about this, the leading of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do or leading me to do? Can I, can I be led by the Spirit to make the quote-unquote right decision in a situation? Prompting. This is another one we talk about. Did the Holy Spirit prompt you to do something? Okay. Um, and there are lots of other examples of this sort of thing as well. So that is the traditional view. That is the view that says, yeah, there is an individual will for my life that I can somehow tap into and know the mind of God in a particular situation, and that will help me to make the right decision. Of course, there is a huge, huge, huge problem with this. We see this often where we believe that God had this particular plan in mind, but then sometimes it doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, but we knew it was God's will, then who gets the blame when it doesn't work out? God, right? Now, oftentimes we'll sort of excuse this, right? We'll kick the can down the road by saying, well, even though that was not, what we'll do is we'll appeal to Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? We'll say, well, 
this situation wasn't good, but it was God's will because later down the road, it's going to manifest in a decision that does work out for the good. But this is a way of just excusing a, a prior belief that we had that might have not been right anyway, okay? Maybe we made the decision. Maybe it truly wasn't God's will in the first place. So rather than making excuses for God, we can actually claim Romans 8, 29 and 30 um, for what it really means. And we'll talk about that as we go forward. Okay, Gary Friesen, again, the author of the book, he says this, the absence of indisputable examples in the traditional views approach to Bib... Uh, the absence of indisputable examples of the traditional views approach to decision-making is striking. In the Bible, no believer asks, what is God's individual will for me in this matter? Much of the vocabulary and many of the concepts in the traditional presentation are absent from the Bible. One does not read of the specific will, center of God's will, right decision, putting out a fleece, or even finding God's will. Even more startling is that no decision is ever explained on the basis that it was God's individual will. Today, we often hear people say, I did this because I knew it was God's will for me, or I felt in my heart God wanted me to do it. The apostles often gave reasons for their decisions, but never in such terms. If their decisions were based upon God's individual will, it is remarkable that they never mentioned it. What is so common and essential to the traditional view is passed over in silence in the New Testament. End quote. Now that's amazing. That if true, if true, that is amazing. And again, for the purposes of this episode, I'm asking you to just sort of agree with me here that this is true. Because we don't really have the space here to go through and look at the individual scriptures. I highly recommend the book, Decision Making in the Will of God. You will not be disappointed. Uh, it's very theologically sound and accurate. He walks you through all the different steps. And um, is everything he says right and true? Well, I mean, certainly not. Uh, he, I'm sure he doesn't get everything right. But certainly his examination of these passages I found to be very, very sound. And here's just to sort of summarize the key point. What you might find as you look through the scriptures is this. In the scriptures, supernatural guidance is not presented quietly and often. Rather, it's loud and rare. What I mean by that is when you're examining the scriptures, it is not as though you often see God sort of whispering little nudges or leadings or promptings in the minds and hearts of his people all the time with small decisions. You know, do I go to Taco Bell or do I go to KFC? Or even relatively larger decisions. Do I go to Stanford or do I go to MIT? We don't see God leading in these sorts of decisions in the scriptures and doing so often and, and quietly. When we do see supernatural guidance in the scriptures, it's very loud and very rare. Think the Apostle Paul, Damascus Road, right? He is told exactly what to do. He's given exact instructions on what to do. It's very loud. It's very obvious. I would Most often, I would say it is first-person public, or excuse me, third-person public. So therefore, other people could see it and verify it. It is often presented that way in the Bible. So we have these being loud and rare, not quiet and often. It's a shame that we often make our relationship with the Holy Spirit, something that is mystical, right? Or magical. Um, but it's not that way at all. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a part of the Godhead. 
And he lives and works with a specific ministry in us. But that is based on the revealed word of God. It can't transcend that. Okay. It can't go beyond what God says in his word is the normal standard of operation. Now, I will say this. God can do what he wants when he wants. This is not a way of putting God in a box. Okay. If God wants to speak in a particular situation, he can. But it's not our prerogative. It's not our right to just make up ways that God speaks to us. We have to look at the biblical example and the biblical prescription for our lives and biblical descriptions in context of things that happened and say, okay, what is the best way for a New Testament believer to make decisions? And that's what I want to help you with today. For the remainder of our time, we're going to talk about these four realities that will allow us to confidently make decisions and to do so with the assurance of God's blessing. How would it feel in your life if you could make decisions with the assurance of God's blessing every time? That's what we're going to talk about. Okay, reality number one here is that where God commands, we must obey. Where God commands, we must obey. Now, this does seem pretty obvious, okay? If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for any period of time, you realize this about the Bible. Very, a very big part of being a Christian, of having a relationship with God, is that we obey his commands. So the Bible says even that we prove our love for Christ through our actions. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. It couldn't be any more clear. Where God commands, we must obey. If God says do this or don't do this, we must obey. It's not presented in the biblical record as being optional. As a matter of fact, it goes beyond that. Obedience to God is actually our part in the covenant that God has established with us. So, for example, Ezekiel 36 verses 26 through 28 says this, A new heart I will also give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Notice, he said, I will give you a new heart. But he also said that you shall keep my judgments. So it's all a part of it. It all works together. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40 says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you see, it's our response to God's love, to God's salvation, to his covenant with us. Our response is obedience. Where God commands, we must obey. It's not optional. It's part of the relationship. Now, do we always obey? No. And of course, that's where forgiveness and grace and the love of God comes in. But where God commands, we must obey. Another interesting dynamic and aspect of this is that God gives direct commands so that we do not have to wonder how to act or respond to temptation, evil, or fear, right? We encounter these things, temptation, evil, and fear, every single day in our lives. And God gives commands 
so that we don't have to wonder around about those. We don't have to flounder around about those things. Of course, of course, some decisions have no intrinsic morality to them. For example, what college you choose or who you choose to marry. And so that's all a part of this. But when it comes to God's commands, what God's commands are um, there to help you do is to stay within his moral guidance, okay, to keep you within his moral will and to give you a framework for how to respond to temptation, evil, and fear. Reality number one is where God commands, we must obey. Okay, reality number two is this. Where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. Where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. Now, like it or not, and this is something that was very hard for me to deal with, um, given the way I grew up and then sort of, you know, coming coming to understand faith a lot more deeply. Scripture is full of gray areas. This is not something that is disputable. It is full of gray areas. And the reason this is indisputable is you just don't have direct guidance on how to handle many of the situations in life. You know, should Christians smoke, do drugs, drink, etc.? Okay, these are gray areas in Scripture. Now, I know that might sound a little controversial. Sure, I think you can make some arguments about... Um, you know, keeping yourself and being of a sound mind and not, you know, I mean, I, I get that, but, and obviously the Bible speaks very specifically about things like drunkenness, but there are other issues that traditionally, at least here in the States, many Christians have wanted to sort of make a de facto part of God's moral command when in reality, they're just not. Now, they may violate the principles of wisdom, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. They may violate the principles of wisdom, but, but, where there is no command, if there is no specific command, we do have freedom and responsibility to choose yes or no, this way or that way. We are not robots, okay? Freedom is part of the very fabric of reality. This began in the Garden of Eden, right? It began in the beginning because God wanted to create people that would choose to love him. They would choose to love him freely. Now, the thing about uh, freedom is this. Laws, the very existence of, of laws, of commands, assumes freedom. It assumes freedom. And so it's indisputable because if you have laws, which we do, then anything by definition outside of those laws, freedom is assumed because then you don't know what you're adjudicating between if you don't have both laws, both things you cannot do absolutely, and then things that you are free to do or at least free to consider the circumstances. And the Bible even very clearly states this in Romans 4.15. It says basically if there's no law, there's no violation of the law. There can't be a violation where there is no law. And in some things in life, there just is no law. So we do have the freedom and responsibility to choose based on those things. And these, I mean, there are plenty of examples of this given to us in the Old and New Testaments. You know, one example from the Old Testament is the free will offering. You weren't required to bring anything to the free will offering, but once you did bring something to the free will offering, you said you were going to, then you needed to make good on that promise. It became part of your relationship, of your covenant with God, but you could do what you desired to do. It was your free will offering. In the New Testament, we have the parable of laborers 
in the vineyard where it was made clear that the person who is the owner of the vineyard is free to do what he wants with his resources. He's free to do what he wants with his resources. Again, as long as it does not violate the moral command of God. Pretty amazing stuff. To, to see that, you know, it's so intuitive when you actually begin looking at the scriptures and you begin considering um, where there really is no mention of that you have to tap in in order to make a decision to whatever this particular will of God is for your life. There's no evidence that we have access to that sort of thing. What there's plenty of evidence of is that we have freedom to make decisions where there is no law. Now, what sort of guidelines, what sort of boundaries do we have? Because certainly we do have some and our ability to make decisions. That's where reality number three comes into play. Where there is no command, God gives wisdom to choose. So reality one, where God commands, we must obey. Reality two, where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. But then reality number three, where there is no command, God gives also wisdom to choose. Friesa defines wisdom in the book as this. Wisdom is the ability to figure out what is spiritually profitable in a given situation. And I think this is true as well. Wisdom gives context, understanding, and direction to our freedom. It gives context, understanding, and direction to our freedom. An example that I like to use, and this might sound a little simplistic, but I think it's apt, is bowling bumpers. So if you've ever gone bowling, and you maybe you've been bowling with kids or at a birthday party or something, and they used bumpers. Now, if you're like me, um, I, I find this very helpful because I'm pretty bad at bowling. And so my bowling balls exercise their freedom often to go into the gutters. But when you put bumpers in the gutters, then you don't have to worry about that. Then some result of some sort in terms of knocking down pins will ultimately end up obtaining, okay, at the end of the day. So if we look at those bumpers, perhaps one of those bumpers as God's uh, moral will and the other one of those bumpers as wisdom, you can see how we now have boundaries within which we can freely make decisions. The ball is free to bounce around however it will, to go a little left, to go a little right, to go a little faster, to go a little slower, to curve just a little bit. It's free to do all of those things within the boundaries of, on the one hand, God's moral command, his moral will, and on the other hand, the wisdom that God gives us to choose to make decisions. Wisdom is a topic that is, it just pervades the biblical account. I mean, an entire genre of scripture is dedicated to what is called wisdom literature and application of wisdom. Using wisdom in decision-making can be seen all throughout the Bible. Um, and wisdom also comes from sources both within us and without. So the Bible talks a lot about, of course, the Holy Spirit living within us, making us more like Christ every single day. God's word. We have God's word. We have the moral will that we can look back and we can say, yeah, this is right. This is wrong. This is how someone chose in this situation. And it was obviously right. This is how someone chose in this situation, and it was obviously wrong. Of course, we have the direct statements of wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, etc. We have that. We also have Christian counsel. We have people in our lives who are spiritual 
leaders and we can go to them and we should go to them when it comes to making decisions. And then there's just straight up reflection on how God's sovereign will has carried you in the past. And we see David model this in 1 Samuel 30 with the encounter at Ziklag. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I think what this means, or at least part of what this means, is David looked back at all those times when even in the face of misery and despair, God came through for him. And I think this is something that we can and should do as well. So past reflection, the Holy Spirit, God's Word, Christian counsel, these are all things that we can look at when we need a source of wisdom to help choose, to help make a decision. I want to give you another lengthy quote from Friesen that I think will be helpful. He says this, we are seeking a biblical answer to the question, in the area of freedom, on what basis should a believer make a decision? The examples of Old Testament leaders, the theme of biblical wisdom literature, the instruction of Jesus, and the practice of the apostles all point to wisdom as the single controlling factor. As we saw in the previous chapter, the pattern the apostles followed is particularly striking. Not once is it recorded that they attempted to discover God's individual will for such decisions. Their explanations for their plans are couched in phrases such as, we thought it best. I thought it necessary. It is fitting. It is not desirable. It seemed good. And simply, I have decided. Luke explained a decision Paul made about an itinerary with the words, for he was hurrying. Clearly, these men were exercising their freedom of choice as well as their responsibility to decide within God's moral will. And wisdom best encapsulates the criteria for these decisions. Here is the concept stated as a principle. In the area of freedom, the believer's goal is to make wise decisions on the basis of spiritual usefulness, end quote. And I love that, especially ending with the idea of spiritual usefulness. The idea is gifting, how to be useful in the kingdom. And I think I've even, I've either written or recorded an episode on the idea of calling versus gifting. This is related here, okay? In the Bible, it talks specifically about people having different sorts of spiritual gifts rather than necessarily having a call into a particular ministry or a particular vocation. And we can't unpack that in this episode, but again, that is part of this as well. So the idea being that within the boundaries of wisdom and God's moral will, if God has gifted you in certain ways and you could be spiritually useful and you could make a decision, the best decision possible that is spiritually profitable, then fantastic. And the way that Augustine used to put this is like this, love God and do whatever you please. Love God and do whatever you please. Isn't that so freeing when it comes to your daily life, your daily actions, your daily considerations? Love God and do whatever you please. And Friesen elaborates on that. He says this, for you can't love God without keeping his commandments. And you can't keep his commands without applying wisdom. So you see, if you just truly love God and do whatever you please, you will always be within the boundaries of a great decision. And here's how we can know. Here's how we can be sure. Because reality number four is this. When we have chosen what is both moral and wise, we must trust the sovereign God to work all the details together for good. First and foremost, let me say this. God does absolutely have a sovereign will that is working behind the scenes. He absolutely does. 
This is so clear throughout the Bible. Um, the book of Esther is a really fantastic example of this where God's name is not even mentioned. And yet you can see God working to accomplish the freedom of his people. And I think this is what we really should mean when we say, let go and let God. Now, usually what we mean there is something like the traditional model would teach. What I need to do is remove myself from the situation and just let God have his will and his way. Um, I need to remove myself from the decision and just do what God wants. But then, see, that assumes that you can somehow tap into that so that you can do what God wants, okay? But that's, I don't, I don't think how we should think about this. We don't let go. We don't empty ourselves and then, you know, uh, none of me, all of God. That's not what we are talking about. What we should get at here is we should let go once we have made a moral and wise decision. Then, then we should let go and let God. Let God work it together for good after we have done our part. Okay, we are not to just back out and to check out and say, no, I'm not going to be involved in this. We should absolutely do our part to stay within God's moral will, those bumpers of God's moral will and the way of wisdom. And then within there, we can trust that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. There is real and lasting freedom and trusting that God can take any moral and wise decision and work it together for good. This has been just a brief training on this topic. I know you could, I literally have, I've watched people teach on this for three hours. So we didn't get to go all into specific scriptures and specific examples, especially really talking about their traditional view. But I just really hope that through this, you can see that decision-making is not this idea of, of tapping into God's secret will for your life, but rather making good decisions and actually trusting in God for the outcome. This is how God's word instructs us to make decisions, okay? So don't postpone your life waiting to hear from God. That is not the biblical way. You should pursue wisdom and counsel. Love the Lord with all your heart. Do what seems good for this is the way of wisdom. I hope this has been a helpful study for you. Um, probably get back to our series next week on um, Kurt Wise's book, Faith, Form, and Time, but I wanted to take some time out and just teach on this particular subject. I taught on it recently, and it was really helpful for people, so I wanted to bring it out here as well and, uh, and give it to the podcast audience. All right, God bless you guys. I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode, and you take care.